Evening guys, this is Colin from the Outlaws of Horror and tonight we bring you part one of our American Werewolf in London special uh, event interviews uh, and today I'm joined by fellow Outlaws, Alan. Hi guys, really excited to be here today. And Paul. Hey everybody, this is just one of them, one of them events you never expected <laughs> to come around in your life but boy oh boy am I pleased to be here. And Paul is quite rightly pleased. Tonight, we welcome on the podcast, Michael Carter, uh, who's uh, probably got, for me, one of the most iconic scenes in American Werewolf in London. Uh, he plays Gerald Bringsley, and he is ultimately killed by the werewolf in Tottenham Court Road Station. So, uh, welcome to the podcast, Michael Carter. Great. Okay, so uh, I'll... I'll I'll kick off. Thanks for joining us, Mike, by the way. Sorry for the little Pleasure. couple of technical glitches at the start, but I think we're doing well now. Uh, I suppose, first and foremost, I just want to say I'm a big fan of the film, definitely a big fan of your part of the film, being a Londoner, born and bred. The, uh, the Tube is kind of a bit of a second home for me, so to see it featured in such, a, such an iconic station as, you know, as Top and Court Road was was great and that kind of brings me to my first question because uh, I was reading that John Landis and some of his crew generally thought the place was quite creepy I think you used some disused areas to do the filming uh, and I was just wondering do you remember if they did a lot of their own modifications to the tube or did they just literally leave it as it was so that you could oh, get the atmosphere up? Yeah. I mean, what I didn't realise was when I, when I arrived there, I was taken down into the bowels of the earth and I was put in a kind of area which was like a dark tunnel with a dog, a large shaggy dog, which was sprayed black, which was a sort of stand-in for the werewolf. Poor thing was so unhappy. And then I was led out into what looked to me like Tottenham Court Road Tube Station. But in actual fact, there's a whole kind of um, labyrinth of uh, tube lines and platforms below the actual station. Um, Oh, wow. has been for a long time and um, I think that's where those there's uh, a kind of a goods trains run in the night when they're transporting uh, engineers and, and people like that um, and they had dressed everything to make it look like you know the tube station upstairs so there was quite a lot of work and it was late I mean it was it was brightly lit by the the, the, the lights that are there um, so a lot of the stuff we did was actually way underground. I can't remember precisely where we did the, the tube coming in. We must have gone back upstairs, I think, to do the tube coming in, to wait until the last tube had gone, which was about one o'clock in the morning. And then we, um, I'm assuming we moved back upstairs, but I can't remember because we were up and down stairs all night. So it was kind of strange. I didn't know that, that there was this kind of very complex labyrinth beneath Tottenham Court Station, um, but there it was in all its glory, and it was tiled, and it looked exactly like um, you know every tube station you've ever, every old tube station you've ever seen. So we were able to film there in peace. There was no air, no oxygen at all. And I think I told you I was ill. You know, really, uh, fortunately I was young. Um, God, I thought I was going to die of lack of oxygen that night. And I remember the Steadicam operator as well. You know, I mean, he was close to collapse because we were, it was the early days of the Steadicam and they had a remote focus pull. You know, usually the focus pull in those days would, would literally measure things out and pull the focus ring on the lens of the camera in the old days before it all went, you know, digital and 
Um, <clears throat> and this was being, he was, he was looking at an image which was being transmitted to him and he was then pulling the focus remotely. But because we were like uh, 300 feet underground or something, you know, signals just weren't traveling anywhere. So the, the thing was, we would do a perfect take and it'd be out of focus. So we'd do it again. So we're doing 27, 28, 29 takes running along corridors upstairs. <laughs> I felt terrible. I was ill. It was the last thing I needed. It, I think it cured me, actually. It cured me. <laughs> <laughs> I remember looking at the steady camera. Yeah, and he was just sunk on the floor between takes. And I said, how are you doing? She said, oh, it's going to kill me. This is going to kill me. It was quite a night. It was a night of hard work, but good fun. Was there, I mean, I understand you're Scottish by birth. Uh, yeah. So was it fun to play the sort of arrogant, yuppie English businessman and see his demise? Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, I had this kind of immaculate suit. The guy who did the, um, the wardrobe, it was his, one of his first jobs. He'd been an assistant director. And... Um, I got this wonderful suit and show. I mean, everything was wonderful. Two of everything because it was all going to be ripped up. And he said to me, he said, you know, the end of filming, you might be able to, they'll keep one of these as it is. They'll keep it intact and you might be able to buy it, get it cheap, you know? And I thought, well, this is okay. That'd be nice. Get a nice Italian suit and a nice kind of, you know, wool coat and everything. But they were both ripped up and covered in blood by the end, so I couldn't buy them. <laughs> my, mother, my mother was in Canada when the film came out and she went to see it. My, my brother in those days was, uh, was, she, was she in the US? Well, she must be in the US, but then he moved to the US. Anyway, she saw it in the US and she wrote me a long letter. She was absolutely appalled by the sex scenes, you know. With, uh, <laughs> <laughs> disgusting. What does that actress think she's doing, honestly? And, um, uh, but she said to me, she said, the one line was, she said, you look, you look really nice in that suit. It was such a shame the werewolf had to tear it up. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was what mattered to my mother, you know, I, yeah, nothing else. Yeah. Brilliant. Do you mind if I <clears throat> share a quick little story? Yeah. Um, so I worked, um, Colin is correct in what he said earlier on about, uh, the underground is close to heart because me and Colin have worked in our careers on London underground refurbishments for well over a decade, Colin, let's be honest about yeah. it. We've yeah. spent a good chunk of our, and I worked on Tottenham Court Road rewire um, about 15 odd years ago. So I've been into all those disused areas um, right. and it was, and this is how bad, and I'll, I'm going to confess and beg your forgiveness. So when I was working at Tottenham Court Road, I was, I was responsible for a number of station rewires. And it was only when I went to my brother's house, who lives in Wood Green in North London, uh, and I said to him, oh, I've just come back from Tottenham Court Road. And the first thing we went was, oh, they've got American Wolf of London there. And I'm like, what? American Wolf of London? That film that made you cry when you were a child because I made you watch it. And I was like, right. Oh, yes, yes, that film. And then literally I'm walking around going, this is where they filmed it. So there is actually disused vent shafts there. Because um, I have actually been there. I remember being through them tunnels. There's disused vent shafts, and there is also a link to um, the, oh, it's a disused Piccadilly line that used to go into there. And That's they right. use that for set dressing and movies and stuff right. like that. But it, yeah. it, I think it's now signaling equipment rooms. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. I remember somebody saying, talking about the link. Mm. Yeah, it was a link. Yeah, that's right. Because yeah. they they also have the platform link to the old Strand Station where they do most of the movie filming now. Uh, um, but there was there was two terminuses yeah. between that and um, one of so them. So it goes used all the way down the Strand, yeah? yeah. Yeah, it goes all the way down to the Strand. Yes, disused branch of the Piccadilly line. A long way. Quite a long it's, way. There is there is 
mass volumes of disused tunnels. So I, I was in Oxford Circus one evening and there is a mass labyrinth of disused areas in off the normal beaten road. But right. if you go into them, there's doors that take you further under Oxford Circus Station. And there are like one mile long tunnels that are perfectly cylindrical with no track in them. And they are oh. as scary as anything. And I've always wished that a filmmaker would go down there and get permission and film. Because it, 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 when I was walking through there, I was getting the whole Ghostbusters 2 vibe. There's, a, there's yeah, yeah, noises. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and So yeah, the underground is incredibly scary at night. And we know and can attest to not being able to breathe at night. There's... Yeah, yeah. Unless it's trains running, air doesn't move very much. That's right, the air gets pumped through with the trains, doesn't it? Mm. I can imagine you could make a very good film there, couldn't you? You know, a couple of people just walking through the tunnel, somehow getting in there, and all the, the ghosts from various ages or whatever. That would be a cool one. It's, in, it, it's incredibly unique as well. Uh, and I think I've read somewhere, uh, Michael, apparently, John Landis hadn't seen escalators of that size and scale oh, really? before. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, I, I read that in the. Uh, Beware the Moon book, which I should give some credit to. Beware the Moon yeah. by, by Paul Davis. Very good uh, insight into into the make of the film. So yeah, I was just wondering, did, when you were being directed by John, did you find yourself giving him any other little insights into English culture or English well, ways? Well, the one thing I said was he wanted me to come out of the, you know, come out of the tube and, and put, put, put uh, what would it be in those days, two shillings or an old you know, 10p coin or whatever it was in the chocolate machine and get a bar of chocolate out. And I said, it won't work. It won't <laughs> work. It never worked. I said, I've been here doing this since 1967. I've never got anything out of these bloody machines. He said, that'll work. <laughs> Do it. So we, uh, we get in the tube. I go way back up the line. And then the tube starts coming back. You know, we hit the station. We, I come out. I look around. I do all the things I'm told. I go to the machine. I see it. I put the money in. I pull it. It's jammed. It won't work. It won't come out. So, <laughs> We had about three takes of this machine. I said, I told you it will not work. And he just started kicking it until the, <laughs> the drawer at the bottom snapped open. Oh my gosh. And he put a bar of chocolate in it. He said, okay, just shoot him from here up, you know, so you don't see, you don't actually see him in the machine. So you see me bending to it, but I'm actually miming a little bit. It's already been kicked open and uh, there's a bar of chocolate in it. So that was it. That was about it, really. I mean, there wasn't much time for any other kind of... Um, I mean, he's very kind of, um, he's very hyperactive. So he's talking the whole time. He's great fun. And he's chucking stuff up, little stories out the whole time. <clears throat> but that night was, everything was very urgent because we had to get it shot. We didn't have much time. We had this problem with the, uh, the focus pool. So there's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, the one thing he said to me was, you've been picked for your athletic ability, not for your acting talent. You're going to do a lot of running tonight. That's all that is good. Yeah, that was it, really. That was it, really. Um, Oh, he asked me if I knew about these underground labyrinths. I said, no, I didn't. I really didn't. He said, apparently there's hundreds of them all over London, as you said. You know, mm. So um, somebody's obviously filled them in. Yeah. We'll have, have, have to try and start a movement to get them back, back down into the underground. I don't know what film could be, but definitely back, then, back yeah. down into the underground. Yeah. yeah. So it was a very tough night of filming. Obviously, you had a small window to film in. Uh, uh -huh. Can you just perhaps take us through, you've, you've bought your bar of chocolate, you're now walking up to the platform, you start to you know, sort of hear the howls, you know something's going on, it's not right. Uh, 
if you just take us through that, some of the sort of thought process going through your mind, being scared, and then when you see the wolf for the first time, that'd be quite cool. Well, you've got, I mean, the, the direction, oh, well, I'm just going to put on a light. Um, um, the direction was that I would come out and I would hear this eerie wolf howl, you know? And I had to, you know, come up with the lines about <clears throat> thinking it's some yobs, you know, having a bit of a giggle and all that. I mean, there was no sound, obviously. It was all, I just had to imagine the sound. So that was oh. it. Um, and then I had a couple of lines, which is straightforward. Walk up, um, hit your mark, hear the sound. Uh, I think he might have prompted me. He might have been standing off camera saying, now, and just kind of, you know, look up. And then walk on a bit, you dismiss it. And then you hear it, and then have that line, which was something like, I shall report this or something. I don't know if this is funny. I can't remember the line. Um, and then I go on, and then you start looking back as you go through various corridors, and gradually you become more and more aware there's something weird going on. And then there was one long corridor, uh, which had been um, dressed up with the, um, the film poster of the sort of porn film, you know, soft porn film where you are walking in the shot and I see it and that's when I just start running. And the rest of the night is just running, run, 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 run up the stairs, run up these stairs, hit the wall, make it look you're really tired, blah, 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 jump over the thing, drop your umbrella. And uh, the stuntman did the fall. It was the stuntman who did the fall on the escalator. It wasn't me, uh, thank goodness. And um, then they put me in there and then they pulled the steady cam up. About the last shot in the morning, this is about, I don't know, six o'clock in the morning, that's that escalator that you see there is the central escalator going up the Tottenham Court Road. There's two, there's one on either side coming down and they, the early morning commuters are on them. So they're, oh, they're, wow. they're yeah, they're all there. They're looking, they don't know what the hell's going on. There's a steady <laughs> the guy lying on the escalator covered in blood and I'm kind of doing all this horror acting, you know, werewolf. and then down the bottom, there is the werewolf itself. Uh, which is an actor on a sort of trolley in the head. The werewolf head was, was huge for this side. So I don't know what, I don't know what they made of it. So that was, that was the last shot we finished uh, that, just as the commuters were coming in. I think we got it in one take because we had to, because, you know, the place would have been completely overwhelmed after that. So that was it. And I went back and got out of my togs. And uh, at one point I was going back and there was this tube train came in and commuters were coming out of it. I'm covered in blood, I've got my throat ripped out, I've got the, you know, this all sort of torn, which is for a shot that was never actually shot. And um, I stood there and I was smoking, I remember smoking those days. I thought you could smoke in the tube, it was before um, King's Cross. Um, I thought, one of us, anybody is going to take a blind bit of notice, this bloodied man standing there. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> Give me a glass more. Yeah, that's London. That's typical London. That is typical that is London, typical yeah. London. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Even back then. Yeah. yeah. So that was in John's one of those directors. He's shouting, shouting instructions the whole time, like a silent movie director. So you know what you, you know what he wants. You know, but it's quite handy actually for just for the purely visual shots. He's um he's shouting stuff at you as we're coming up the escalator. He's shouting at me. He's behind the steady cam. And he's shouting at me, you're staring death in the face. You're staring death in the face. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the commuters are, are thinking about that. You know, so. That's so a normal day nowadays in London. <laughs> Sorry? That's a, a normal day in London. Day. 
Yeah, it is a bit, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> typical start to the day. Anything happened this morning on the way in? No, nah, nothing much. Some geezer. You know, Just some bloke getting spit spread by a wolf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that was it. So, so you've done the Tottenham Court Road scene, uh, yeah. and that's sorted. Now, you reappear back in the film in the cinema scene. Was there a large yeah. gap, or were you able to literally come <clears> back <throat> the next day? No, there was a bit of a gap, like a week or 10 days or something like that. I don't remember exactly how long it was. Um, bit of a gap, yeah. And um, we got down, it was filming Pint A Twickenham. And um, it's funny, I drive past, I live on the other side of the river and uh, I often pass the film studios. I get a little buzz every time I go past it. So I remember how cold it was. For some reason, they kept the doors open to the studio. I don't know why. And uh, it was freezing cold, it was the winter. And uh, all that plastic, that blood which was put on us, which, and John used to pour gallons of blood. He couldn't get enough blood off. <laughs> <laughs> he really couldn't. He was like a vampire. And it would freeze and it would go hard. You, you, you know, you couldn't get the bloody stuff off. You had blood in your hair for days, you know, before it, it came off. So that was a few days later, uh, maybe a week, maybe 10 days, maybe even two weeks later. I can't remember precisely. And uh, earlier, I've got just a couple of things. I'll let some of the other guys uh, get in, get a word in, sorry. Uh, but obviously you uh, talked about the See You Next Wednesday uh, poster on the underground. Yeah. Uh, so of course that's the film that's screening when you're in the cinema scene. Yeah. Now I understand you got to see the whole film that they made, didn't you, from what I get? Yeah, in a break. Because not, not of it's in the final cut, is it? No, it's not, not the final cut. Let me see a little bit. So it was a part of doing a big setup. We've gone to run. It's only about five minutes long. It's very funny. It's very it's funny. Yeah. It's not, I mean, nothing happens. There's no, there's, there's nudity, but you know, it's just uh, nothing actually happens. And um, one of the guys was gay. And so he was, he was, uh, he, apparently he was kind of not sure what to do with these two very nubile women. Uh, but it, <laughs> and and I, I kind of, I knew the other guy, the big guy's name, I can't remember. I did. Um, oh, Gypsy Dave. Yeah, Gypsy Dave. I did something with Gypsy Dave. It was a TV, it was an episode of something. And Gypsy Dave was on it, stuntman or a flight arranger or something. And I got him and I was talking to him. I remember talking to him one night on the bus about coming back from vacation, wherever we were doing this, whatever the hell it was. It might have been an early Dempsey and Make piece. I don't know. It was somewhere in London filming. And I was talking about how unfit I'd got. I used to be fit and I got unfit. And he said, well, come down the gym. We'll get you fit. I said, well, how are you going to get me fit? We'll get you in the ring. We'll get the gloves on, you know, because he was an ex-boxer. And one of the other guys who was on that program was also an ex-boxer. And I thought, no bloody way am I going to <laughs> <laughs> this kind of six foot four inch. He's you know. a big man, wasn't he? Yeah. He was a big, cool. yeah, big fellow. Lovely bloke, though. really nice fellow. Really was. Yeah. So, of course, by now, the character... Gerald. Sorry, no, the character of Jack is pretty uh, rotted away. He's, he's more corpse yeah, yeah, yeah. Than, kind of, than, than kind of person. And uh, I think for those scenes, they used, uh, they built a mannequin puppet of Jack. That's right. So what was it like in, interacting with a puppet rather than an, an actual person? Well, it was okay. You, you made that, I mean, as an actor, you just made that, um, that shift quite easily. I mean, he was actually behind operating it and speaking it, so it was his voice. Oh, okay. So he was, he, it was him by proxy, as it were, you know, and uh, he would come out and be very smug about the fact that he wasn't covered in blood. Um, 
so it was quite easy. Uh, he's a very good actor as well. You know, he was able to kind of do it. It's a bit like when I used to work with Jabba the Hutt when, you know, we made the Return of the Jedi. I mean, it was just a big pile of rubber. And there was no voice. There was none of that kind of Jabba the Hutt voice, whatever it was. It was a, a sort of 18-year-old stage manager, a girl reading the lines, you know. No, Jedi, I'm this. So it's just an acting exercise. It's absolutely, it's absolutely fine. And the, the model worked beautifully. I mean, it really did. He got it off. He, he, he rehearsed it. And he got it off. And it would turn around and look at you and the eyes would move. It was kind of spooky. So once you got used to it, it was, it was, it was fine. And that whole scene was good because everybody had to play it differently. My direction was play him really heavy, make him really heavy, make him play really angry. And the other two were, were very light, you know, to make it kind of light. But yeah. so, um, you got a nice sort of contrast. Uh, great fun filming. I was standing on beer crates. Um, they cut a hole in the seat so they could get the wires through so we could operate the puppet. So I wasn't actually in a seat. They cut oh, a hole yeah. And I was standing on a pile of beer crates, about 12 feet high, you know? Oh, wow. It wasn't very steady. I just had to look as if I was sitting down. <laughs> um, so you're in the yeah. freezing cold. You're yeah. covered in hard caked blood and you're yeah. 12 feet up in the air on a stack of beer grates. <laughs> yeah. That's about it. Wow. That's about it. The joy of acting. Joy of <laughs> you know, that's, that's kind of part of it. That's kind of the fun, actually, making the impossible look just normal and natural. That's what's great about it, actually. And if you're doing the real thing, it'd just be a bit dull and boring. You've got to actually, you know, make something work, like standing in beer crates or whatever. You know, that's it. That's great. Yeah, that's good. Anything, guys? Um, Alan, do you want to go first? Well, I would like to ask a, a question about a Christmas Carol. So, is yours still yeah. with American Werewolf? Yeah, mine is. So, um, <clears throat> so for me, this film is to say iconic and popular is an understatement. I, I remember because I'm a London, unlike Colin, but I'm a real Londoner, unlike Colin, who's from the outskirts <laughs> okay. of London. But we don't talk <laughs> well, about that. Um, grew up in Zone Two. Exactly. <laughs> Um, but anyway, um, so did you ever think this film would become so iconic and popular? I mean, I remember there being American werewolf tours in London because London has quite, oh, you know, at the weekends, horror tours, Jack the Ripper tours. But I do remember for a period of time there was an American werewolf in London tour where people would go and turn up at railway stations and places where stuff was filmed. Um, did you ever think yeah. the film would become so iconic? Because I believe it's 40 next year. Um, mm, and it's yeah, still yeah. something that's talked about as one of those, if you could take 10 classic, era-defying, iconic movies, someone in the room is going to go, America, Wolf in London. Yeah. Did yeah. you ever think it would become that, or it would maybe no. end up in a bargain bin DVD sale thing? Well, you never know is the answer. You just never know, really. I mean, I, th the, the, I think, what is this great... There's two things which are great strength, or three things. A, it's a great story. B, there's a lot of humour, Right. I think that's that's yeah. really important, the humour. Yeah. But also, there's a kind of wonderful um, simplicity about it. You know, it's not a complex film in many ways. It's quite straightforward. Something is happening, something weird that you don't understand. So it's like a thriller. It's got, you're trying to find out what the hell is it, and then you discover it's this creature, and you discover that he's damned. So it's got that wonderful, um, simplistic, what happens next um, uh, uh, structure to it. And I think that, Work is one of the reasons why it works. To some degree, great films are quite straightforward. They're quite simple. I mean, if you read about, you know, classic screenwriting, 
it's always quite straightforward. It's quite simple. Something happens and the, the rest of the film is spent trying to figure out what the hell it is. And it's like that. And I think that simplicity and the way in which it's put together in this unfussy, witty, pacey way, you know, with a lot of atmosphere. Um, it's not over the top dramatic either. You know, it's just kind of like stuff. Hearing the, hearing the noise is, is the terrifying thing. When they're on the moors, you kind of hear the noise and they start walking faster, you know, and you can really kind of sense the tension in them. I think that's, that's why it's probably, that's one of the reasons why it's probably lasted so long. And it's still a great film. I saw it about four or five years ago at the, uh, the uh, BFI on a special showing and it lasted so long. And um, it was great. It was great. It was just great fun. It was a great mm. fun movie, you know, and it worked and it still worked and it still had impact, you know, and uh, all the laughs came in the same places. It was a completely different audience. Um, it's great. Can I, can I just add to that? That film yeah. has nearly had me beaten up in every single remote pub or tavern I've ever been <laughs> in. Um, yeah. So yeah, that um, I, I I regularly go on holiday to Devon and Cornwall, and every time I've gone on there, I've gone stay on the path and off the moor, <laughs> and they just look at you like they want to beat you around the head with a bat, and they're really? thinking, yeah, every American who walks in the door says that. I don't need you you saying it as well, pal. Really? Um, and that really? just shows the reach of these movies mm. that these yeah. taverns yeah. get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. It's incredibly it's iconic. Ribs, you know, Tottenham Court tube station itself is. Uh, and by the way, just a quick one, as you can probably tell, big fan of Star Wars. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so thank you for that. <laughs> anyway, Alan. Yeah, I mean, I, I was going to just change it slightly now, um, because obviously you were in um, A Christmas Carol. I just wanted to get your thoughts on actually being part of that film, because that film, I mean, on a personal level, that's such a, a great movie for myself. Um, uh, it's the, the, the defensive version of A Christmas Carol. Um, wonderful cast, you know really visually fantastic and and it's just an, an all-round wonderful film so i just you know being a part of that and being like the, the sinister um ghost in in that film i just wanted to sort of overcome yeah yeah i just wanted to sort of get your experiences on on that and, and well, what it was I, like yeah i mean i become it's one of those things in film and to some degree if you, you do something you, you know you get known for doing that and that's it i did american werewolf that was the first thing and i had a bit of prosthetic on my throat and on the side of my face. The next thing is I'm up for Return of the Jedi like nine months later and they say, we hear you can handle prosthetics. No? Right. <laughs> yeah. no. So see if you can handle this. Bang. It's holy you did that, then you get the keep. The keep comes along, which was, was easier because it was just something I could put around. Because you can handle, you're, you're the guy that can handle prosthetics and plays these monsters. And the last one was, um, Christmas Carol, and um, I, I kind of went, do I really want to do this? Do I want to do another kind of strange creature? But then they told me that George C. Scott was playing uh, Scrooge. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I just wanted to thought, well, come on, you've got to work with George C. Scott. That's, that's like a memory that you're going to take with him. And um, I was staying in the same hotel as he was, and uh, he was great fun, he was good fun. Um, so that was it, and it just looked great. I mean, I've never been to Shrewsbury, which is where it was filmed, and it just looked absolutely tailor-made for it. The set dressing was fantastic. I played another part in it, just because the director said, come on, we've got to give you a part where you don't dress up in a funny costume. And I'm, <laughs> I'm, in, uh, I'm in another scene, which was a shot in a converted wine bar. There's a very, very old, not wine bar, wine shop in Shrewsbury, a very, very old one. It was about 
250 years old, very well known, you know? And it was shot in there, this, this scene was shot in there. Um, again, again, that was just enjoyable. It was just, uh, you know, it was just, it just was, again, so spooky, the way they, they made it work. And I think what was good about George C. Scott was he was a very, he's a very powerful actor, you know? He's just, he just kind of radiates power. He's a big man. <laughs> And um, he's very, very powerful. And he was able to use that power in his Scrooge. He didn't play Scrooge as a kind of withered little old, you know, typical Dickensian type. He didn't speak in a funny voice, but he played him right to the hill as this kind of powerful man. And I think that really worked. That really worked. Um, so that was good fun too. That was another memory. That was another film that I, I kind of, uh, and, and I had no idea what I looked like. I no, I, I never saw what I looked like. I had to see the film to see what I looked like. And they put me in a trolley for that scene where he first appears. It's yeah, pulled, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's pulled on a on a on a track for a long, long way through the, uh, uh, the the dry ice. And uh, the director just said, or the first assistant just said, do a lot of weird shapes, Mike. Kind of weird stuff, you know, because it looks. So I was just literally just making weird shapes coming down. And uh, they said that looks great. That looks great. And he, George C. Scott liked it too. He said it's quite scary, actually. Standing yeah. looking at it, he said it is actually quite, you look very scary. So, uh, so there we go. I think that's a valid compliment because uh, George has got one on to be in one of my favourite horrors, which is Exorcist 3. Absolutely love that film. And, and he's great in it. And I think yeah. what you were talking about, the, the kind of power, he brings that to Exorcist 3 as well, because there's all this yeah. there's demon stuff going on and sacrifice going on, and he's just this big, grumpy old man who's yeah. happy to have a, yeah. a kind of moan yeah. and a bit of a sound. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Nice bloke as well, very nice man. Good, good. Mm. Right, well, uh, we've talked a lot about Mercury Health in London, and we've really enjoyed it, Mike. Honestly, I could could carry on talking for ages. We haven't even scratched Star Wars and we're all big Star Wars nuts, as you can see <laughs> from, uh, from, 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 uh, background. Can I just Maybe. add, can I just oh, add no. Colin? Sorry. If my elder brother was here, he would have fainted and would be no use to anyone. Cause he's right. big four here. He, he's monster mad on America. It's his favorite film of all time. So he, he wouldn't yeah. even start this interview. So just want to throw that in there. <laughs> well, anyway, all I was, I, I, I'm just going to throw out there. Mike, like I said, we haven't even scratched uh, Star Wars. I'm, I'm sure there's other things. If, if you know, you ever want to come back, we'll happily have you back. This has been a great, great talk. Uh, yeah, fine. Like yeah. we said, American Werewolf in London, 14 next year. That's going to be a great little milestone as well. Uh, but over, it's been great. Thanks for your time. Uh, uh, Thank you. I've enjoyed I'm it. Happy to say goodbye. It's been great speaking Thank to you. Thank you for your time, okay. sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All the best. All the best. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Thank you very okay. Much. Take Bye. care. Nice to, nice to speak to you. You Bye. too. Stay Good health. Bye -bye. Thank you, Bye -bye. sir. Bye. Bye. Okay, chaps. That was brilliant. I thought that was so great. Oh my that God, you were totally freaking out during that. You were very calm, actually. I'm, no, I just had to jump pounds. in there because when he started talking about the underground, I was like, what? I've been in the I, I pulled armoreds. I pulled armoreds. And do you know what the worst thing is? I didn't realize until my brother fucking told me. Um, well, I was fighting that you were going to spend the half, the whole half hour just, just talking about cable pulling on the underground. No, no, I, I knew it was half an hour. Keep it lean, keep it clean, keep it mean. Absolutely. So that was Michael Carter, dudes. I don't know about you. That was pretty awesome. 
that was pretty special. That really, really was good. Yeah. Really good insights into that iconic horror film. Um, Colin, we're not done yet with American Werewolf in London, are we? No, we are not. There's more exciting stuff to come. Can, can we tell everybody what the exciting stuff is? I think we can tell everybody what the exciting stuff is. Yeah, I think we can tell everyone. Yeah, that we, we have a part two to our American and Werewolf in London celebration. And that involves us talking to the one and only Brenda Bristols or Lindsay Drew, as you may also know her. She is coming up on the podcast very soon. Brenda Bristols. What a fantastic name. Um, okay, well, um, I think we'll... we'll uh... If you've enjoyed this, everybody, um, we don't say this enough in these podcasts. Um, for everyone who is listening on a podcast platform or watching on YouTube, thank you very much for taking the time out to listen and watch these. Um, we value any feedback. If you've really enjoyed Michael Carter and you want to see more guests like that, please um, like, share, subscribe, leave a note in the comments below, um, message us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. Um, please feel free to share our platforms and message us. Um, and yeah, we've got part two of this American Werewolf in London series. And hopefully, maybe not the last we've seen a Michael Carter either. So um, I think we should end it here, lads, really, and um, move on to the next. So um, yeah, that's it for us. Uh, on behalf of all the outlaws, Alan, Colin, stay scared, everybody. Take care. <laughs>